Yo, and welcome to the EPM show. I am Blake Bozarth, and this is All Things Enterprise Performance Management, where we're doing our best to give you an unfair career advantage. We have another legend of a guest for the show today, guys. I know you've heard me say that before. This man, Howard Dresner, is the one who coined the term business intelligence. He coined that term back in 1989, and he's one of the foremost thought leaders in the EPM space. He has worked inside some of the major platforms. Now, he runs for the last 16 years a research and advisory firm that does incredible research in the space. And he's got a unique vantage point to talk about the industry. He's going to share with us how can we become hyper decisive in our organizations. And whether you're a CFO, whether you're a mid-level manager, whether you're an early career EPM and data professional, you can help shape that culture of hyper-decisive. I love that term, how to cut through analysis paralysis and make data-driven decisions quickly. What we all want, right? Nobody likes analysis paralysis. He also gives us some predictions for the future in the space. He doesn't have a crystal ball, but let's just say his crystal ball is better than most. Given his background and experience and vantage point, he talks about artificial intelligence and AI. That's a huge buzzword we know, machine learning. But he's going to explain what does that really look like over the coming years. And he has some great career advice for how to make sure you do not become myopic and make sure you stay relevant as the industry and as the economy continues to change. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, guys. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. All things enterprise performance management. And we're doing our best to give you an unfair career advantage. And we have an incredible guest with us today to help us do that. Howard Dresner, welcome to the EPM show. Thanks, Blake. Great to be here. We're excited to have you. We're going to hit you with our patented question. And that is, tell us a little bit about you and your career in 60 seconds. Here we go. I've been in high tech for going on 42 years now. It's been a long time. Among the time I've spent in the industry, I've been on all sides of the equation, been a user, been a vendor. I spent 13 years at Gartner, where I was a research fellow. And for going on 16 years now, I've been heading up Dresner Advisory Services, which is a small research organization that focuses on data and analytics and BI and performance management, among other things. Hey, you have 25 seconds to spare. So we got to we got to ask you on the personal side, what do you like what do you All like right. to do for fun? For fun, I mostly spend time with my family, my kids, with my grandkids. I also own an airplane and I'm a ham operator, so I I engage in those things when I have time. <laughs> Are you and you're you're the pilot? You're also flying? I do. I have an airplane and everything. So, so, you're, uh, so you're the one manning one it. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's right. So that's a warning to anybody that's up here in New Hampshire where we live. So That's awesome, man. You're living you're living the dream. So, hey, we are super excited to have you on the show today. You are one of the foremost thought leaders in this space. And I actually want to start with that, Howard. You wrote the book on performance management revolution. You wrote that in 2007, I believe. Talk to us about how do you look at the market now, maybe from the things you were already covering and helping advance back in 2007. What's the same? What's changing in today's world? Well, it's amazing that... You know, presentations that I would have delivered, you know, 33 years ago or 35 years ago would still make sense today. So we're still <laughs> trying to do many of the same things. I mean, some things have certainly improved and we're doing it at a greater scale than ever before. But in that book in particular, we talk about the modern management system, and that's still super relevant. How does mission and strategy and the commitment 
to support those things and the execution and the analysis. How do all those things relate? And that is still the mission that we're on. How does an organization understand not just how to leverage data and how to leverage things like planning, but how do we connect all those pieces together? And how do we do so in a way in which it actually informs the strategy as part of a cycle? And so that continues to be the goal. We continue to make progress against that. And it's, you know, typically it's much broader than just finance. Typically, when we think about EPM and performance management, it tends to be finance centered. And mm. it, it, when you think about EPM, the E stands for enterprise. And so it's a lot broader than just finance. So we have certainly made great progress since the time that I wrote that book or since when I first coined the term business intelligence back in 1989, but it's been a lot slower than one would have. I mean, it's been, it's been growing, but it's been yeah. much more gradual. So Howard, we got to hit on that for a second. You coined the term business intelligence. Did you know what you stumbled across at the time? And do you have any idea that it would take root in the way that it has <laughs> since then? It's unbelievable. Uh, 1989, you coined the, the term. It, it's the gift that keeps giving. No, I had no idea quite frankly, that that term would still be around at this late date. Back then, there were terms like executive information systems. We don't give it a different name to give it something that would be more relevant and be more aligned with what we're actually trying to achieve with the technology. So we came up with business intelligence. I think it was a late night. We had finished all of the pizza and we just needed a name. <laughs> So if I had to go back and do it all over again, would we call it something else? Maybe, but you know, it's stuck. And so here we are. <laughs> hey, here we are. It's, that's, a, that's an incredible story. And it's amazing to see the way that the legacy that that term's had. Also in that book, you had this term information democracy. Talk to us about that concept and what's the vision for that? And how are you seeing that advanced in today's world? So information democracy, that's a term I started using in 93. And the idea around information democracy is not that everybody has access to everything, but everyone or all stakeholders or all constituencies have access to timely event insights that inform the tasks associated with their job. And it's a way in which we can align them with the strategy of the enterprise as well. And we've, we've certainly made strides in terms of delivering those insights more broadly in the organization than back in 1993. You know, in 93, access to those insights was very limited to just the elites, senior management and certain types <clears throat> within the organization. And the idea of information democracy is more eyes on the data. It's the idea of alignment. How do we align everybody with insights within the organization? So we've come a long way since that time in 1993, but there's still a lot more that we can do. Based on our data, probably 40% of all the users have access to these insights at one level or another, right? Mm. Varying degrees. But the 60% that don't, that are roughly in the dark, and if they're making decisions, they're doing so based on secondhand information or outdated information or no information at all. And we call that experience or intuition, but it's really just fancy guessing. And we can't afford to guess anymore. When you look at what we went through with the pandemic over the last couple of years, and as we head into next year with those headwinds that we're dealing with, the most successful organizations, the ones that really not only survive, but really thrive, ones that were able to fully leverage the data. And also when you look at things like EPM, the ones that were able to accurately plan, replan, forecast, reforecast, and then execute on that information with precision, those folks did far better. And many of them actually grew 
as opposed to those that, that really struggled or worse. How would you describe the, the industry going forward and how should they be thinking about their career and making sure they stay relevant and valuable to their organization? First of all, I call the pandemic the dress rehearsal for what we're about to encounter in the coming in the coming years. Mm. There are so many external factors that one needs to be taking into consideration. And many of them, of course, are economic. There are geopolitical concerns or regulatory issues. The pandemic is still with us, by the way, the sort of the hangover associated with that staffing issues, supply chain issues. So you really need to have a broad perspective and you need to be collecting data and analyzing data in a much more comprehensive way than you have before. We call this being hyper decisive. And that's sort of our name for this, this notion of being able to take in all of the relevant sources of information as quickly as possible, translate those into insights, make decisions on that and execute. I mean, rapidly, right? That's the idea of being hyper decisive. And that's really what's going to be necessary to be successful as we move forward into the future. So you've got to be able to feed it all that information and act on it as quickly as possible because it's going to be highly dynamic in the future. We got to pick up on that, Howard. That term is so fitting for somebody who spent almost a decade in corporate America prior to CoThrive. <laughs> you see, you experience so much analysis paralysis. You might have a lot of data at your fingertips, but there's still a lot of procrastination when it comes to the actual decision making. What can leaders do? What can professionals do to help spur on the decisiveness piece? You really need to have a culture that not only embraces uh, this notion of data-driven decision-making, but has a supportive uh, team that allows people to make decisions or even make mistakes, and where transparency and accountability are really valued, where you know things like insight creation and execution are really important, where alignment with mission is important. You can have an organization that can become hyper-decisive or performance-directed in nature, and it can start anywhere in that organization. You know, you have to have that sort of that seed. So it can start at the bottom. It can mm. start in the middle. The fastest way to achieve it is to have it start at the top <laughs> of the organization. <laughs> but you have to have really a visionary CEO that recognizes the value of data and data-driven decision-making. One of the best-case studies that I had done was with Cleveland Clinic, obviously a very well-known healthcare organization, where at the time they had brought in a CEO who was a heart surgeon. He was one of these rock star heart surgeons who really believed in the power of data. And mm -hmm. it literally transformed the organization. I wouldn't say overnight, but in relative short order, where all of a sudden you had a data-driven culture now, where people were empowered to make decisions based on data with a supportive management team. I'll give you one quick example. You know, the previous management, when you went into these executive meetings, People were afraid. They were fearful of sharing the data, fear that the executive at the time would lambaste them, would criticize them. They'd be punished for, for using the data or for having the wrong answers with the data. Mm -hmm. The new CEO came in and he would you know, ask people, how can I help? A totally different perspective, right? Totally different feel. And therefore it enabled the other managers to not worry as much about making a bad decision or having to ask for help 
or for consulting with senior management when they were using data to make decisions. So it really eliminated a lot of those previous cultural barriers to using data for making decisions. You know, we have a mutual friend, Howard, Gary Cokins, and he has a line that I absolutely love that he says, oh, yeah. in the absence of facts, anybody's opinion is a good one, right? <laughs> so he kind of underscores this need for, <laughs> hey, you can, you can, you can debate, you can have all sorts of uh, discussion, but if you don't have data-driven decision-making, if you don't have data-driven uh, processes that allow for decisions to be made, it's it's all for naught, and it can be a massive, massive circus. And, and I would take it one step further, and Gary's absolutely right. If you have people that come into a meeting, multiple people that have different data, which one do you believe? Hmm. You have an issue around the veracity of that data. So do you believe the first person that presents? Do you believe the last person that presents? You know, which is the correct data? So what ends up happening in these meetings is you spend most of the meeting arguing about which is the correct data. Instead of everybody coming to the meeting, you can have different perspectives, different lenses, but it's the same data. And then we don't have to focus on whether or not the data is correct. We can focus on what are we going to do about it? What's the presenting problem? And we all agree that there's a problem here. The data indicate that there is a problem or problems. And then you can focus on resolving those problems and making decisions. And I know that's a key tenet to information democracy played out well as we're, we're all singing from the same hymn book in terms of single source of truth, right? Yes. And we, and we have access to that. People Indeed. can see that. And there's, there's no longer debating about the sure. source and the, and the actual data. It's more about, okay, this is what the data is. What, what do we do about it now? And, and, what, and what does it mean? What does it tell us? And where do we go? Right. And that's why getting the data right is really important. It does need to be complete. It does need to be reliable as well, because that becomes the lifeblood of the organization. If you're a hyper-decisive organization, if you're a digital enterprise, that's absolutely crucial. So you guys do a ton of incredible research across this industry in particular. When you look down market, are you starting to see more small to medium-sized organizations invest into their planning capabilities? They are investing, there's no question. Most of the new companies, software companies or solution companies that have come to the fore have focused on the mid-market. Mm. So when I say mid-market, I mean anywhere from 100 to 1,000 employees, mm -hmm. you know, probably somewhere in the middle of that, right? You know, yeah. people that are down in the hundreds, low hundreds are probably still largely using spreadsheets, which is a separate issue. It is an issue. But for the EPM vendors now that are focused on this space, there's so much fertile ground within mid-market. Most of them are focused on, you know, traditional budgeting, financial budgeting, the annual budget. The annual budget still, you know, is at the top of the list, even for large organizations, but certainly for a mid-sized organization, which is a great improvement from where they were when they were doing it spreadsheets. So that's where a lot of the growth has been in mm -hmm. this marketplace most recently. And it really speaks to, I think, an important point, which is the technology, the solutions have become so much more accessible and affordable. Heretofore, you know, organizations, like I said, would use full spreadsheets to do what they had to do, which, you know, if you're doing a but you've done budgets before, you probably know is not easy to, to get a budget using, you know, spreadsheets throughout the organization. And so it's improved that process tremendously. It saved them a lot of money. You have a lot more consistency. You have a lot more governance and controls and, you know, auditable and verifiable logic built into those things. And so that's been really a very positive thing. But once again, it's very much focused on the annual budget. It's not been as expansive as a larger organization might be able to take advantage of. When you look out, Howard, over the next, let's say, 
two to five years. Any predictions when it comes to this space in terms of what we'll be seeing and, and where the industry is going? Well, there's a lot that's happening. I, I hate making predictions because the future is going to do what it wants to do, right? <laughs> we can sit here and get. We will be wrong. The data will um, tell us. Things which it's absolutely, that's what we count on, right? <laughs> a couple of things we see already on the horizon. First of all, EPM expanding into different areas and different disciplines. Sales is the most obvious one. So you have sales performance management. Anything where there is overlap with the Office of Finance, we'll start to see more of that because there obviously is a connection between those operational disciplines and the financial plan. And these things are all interrelated and they have to be you know, worked on in a collaborative fashion. Same thing is true with HR. So increasingly, workforce planning and analysis, supply chain planning and analysis. The one that, you know, is not clear is marketing because they're sort of in their own orbit. But <laughs> increasingly, anything, anything that directly affects the financial plan is going to be part of the process. So I see EPM becoming much broader than Office of Finance. And I think it's an opportunity for the CFO to really take, you know, the helm there, the mantle and focus more broadly than just the traditional Office of Finance approach. So that's one area. The other one is certainly artificial intelligence. And the Office of Finance has been very slow to embrace AI, you know, because there's a concern about control. There's a concern about, obviously, the auditability of the various algorithms. But it is into the various applications that are out there. Adoption is slow but it is growing over time. So I think you'll start to see more artificial intelligence or advanced algorithms. You know, people say AI, and sometimes it's not really AI, it's more machine learning, more traditional inferential statistics, but using things like neural networks, things where, you know, humans might overlook things in large sets of data, the algorithms don't. So I think we'll start to see more of that, not replacing, but maybe, you know, helping them find anomalies in the data that they might not easily find by themselves. On that point, Howard, if you had to give some career advice, AI is coming, like you just said, maybe it's not replacing. Are there specific things that you would recommend someone that's working in this space to be doing to stay relevant and to continue to expand the value that they could bring to their organization. Yeah, absolutely. Try not to be myopic in nature, right? So if you're a finance professional, think more broadly. You need to know what the other parts of the organization do, how they function. How does the supply chain work? What's the sales process or processes actually look like? How does, you know, the CHRO manage the workforce? How do they do recruitment? You need to know all of those things to be more effective as a finance manager or to be as a business manager or an executive in general. The more aspects of the organization and how it operates, that you, the more effective you're going to be as a professional in any role within that enterprise or any other enterprise in the future. Amen to that. So you have a vibrant community, Howard, of data professionals and would yeah. love it. would love it if you could share a little bit about what you guys do and how you serve that community. And if there's opportunities for some of our listeners who want to sharpen their skills with some of the forms that you have, would love to would love to be able to share. Yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. So we are a research-centered organization. Now we're small, we're a 20-person organization, but we've got you know a core of analysts that have been in this industry, have spent their entire careers in this industry, 
we claim to have some 400 years of collective experience. <laughs> and we write a lot of research and it's completely independent and objective. Last year, we wrote over 3,000 pages or published over 3,000 pages of research. This year, we're on track for 3,500 pages of research. And we do have a community of what we call data leaders. People can join it. You can do a 90-day free trial. It includes access to all of the research. And also, we have a really cool sort of discussion thread, like a Slack environment, where all of the community members plus our analysts can interact on a recurring basis. And so if you go to dresnerdataleaders.com, you can sign up for the 90-day free trial. No commitment whatsoever. You don't have to give us a visa card or anything like that. <laughs> and you can be included. We also have monthly Zoom calls with all of our data leaders as well. And then we also have a, a conference. And it's an online conference or one-day, six-hour event. It's completely free. So it's called Real Business Intelligence. But the shorthand is if you go to rbi2022.com, you can register for free. It's on December 8th. It goes from 10 o'clock in the morning till four in the afternoon, has some great speakers, including our own analysts, as well as some really cool roundtable discussions with many of our data leaders from various industries. And we will hold it three times a year. So we have it coming up in December 8th. The next one will be March 8th. And like I said, it's completely free. Just well register first, then show up. <laughs> Talk about value. That, that's amazing. Hey, before we let you go, is there any sort of BHAG, that's a business term we like to use, but the big, hairy, audacious goal... <laughs> That you've accomplished a lot already in your career. You've already coined business intelligence. I'm not sure what else what else could top that. But is there any other kind of BHAG that you're kind of going after, either either professional or personal? Why? Well, I mean, professionally, like I said, we're in our 16th year of operation, and it just it continues to be a lot of fun. I like working with the smart professional analysts and team that we have. I like working with our data leaders and our clients and our subscribers. And for me, that's very satisfying. I love getting up in the morning because there's always going to be something new to learn in addition to collecting lots of data and learning from the data as well. And we will continue to expand and grow that and support our community. So for me, I get jazzed about that. It just doesn't get old and I see no reason to stop. I will go out with my boots on, just keep doing this. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, this has been a blast, Howard. Thanks for being on the show and can't wait to continue to see what you're driving going forward. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Wherever you're consuming this, if it's YouTube, if it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we appreciate you. Make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot more amazing guests on the way, a lot more great content. We're doing our best to bring you value and have fun while we do it. And we really want this to be a career advantage listening to this show and we want you to enjoy it. So means a lot. Make sure you're subscribed for what's what's to come. And also, if you're up for it, it would mean a lot if you leave us a like, a comment, a rating, a review, whatever platform you're on. That really helps and it gets us fired up when we see those. So I appreciate you guys. Find us on LinkedIn. I'm Blake Bozarth, my co-host Chad Pike with a Y. Would love to connect with you there. Have an awesome day. See you next time. Peace.